0: Welcome to the Soul Sessions Podcast. Deep dive into the causes and real issues underlying addiction, codependency, emotional eating, weight concerns, and the trance of unworthiness. Tune in weekly to befriend, nourish, and heal body, feelings, mind, and soul. And now your host, soul-centered psychotherapist, trauma expert, and mind-body eating coach, Jody Gale. Welcome to the Soul Sessions with Jodie Gale podcast. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which my office is based and across which we virtually meet and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening to this podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Lara Owen. Lara is a writer and researcher whose interests circulate around the everyday and our potential for living more intelligently, compassionately and sustainably. She has written on spirituality and on women's well-being and is best known for her groundbreaking book on menstruation, Her Blood is Gold, which was first published in 1993. Lara holds a PhD from Monash Business School, on Innovations in the Organisation of Menstruation. Hi, Lara. Welcome back. Thank you, Jodie. Great to be back with you. We were talking last time about uh, Her Blood is Gold, your book, and today we are going to talk about an article that I read, and I can't remember what year it was, but I'd just moved home from London to Sydney. It's called The Perils of Extreme Positive Thinking. And my husband and I were going through IVF treatment at the time, unsuccessfully. It was an extremely painful time, but we were often told by well-meaning people, just think positive and it will work. And it was also around the time that the popular self-help book, The Secret, was on the bestsellers list. And just as a side note, just uh, I think because I'd been writing this, the next time I went online, the book actually popped up at me and it's still in the top 10 books of all time being sold. Oh my God, is and, it? And it's oh. actually still in the top <laughs> 10 being sold. I know. <laughs> so your article really spoke to me and it's still a resource that I send to clients all the time. I post it on social media often because we're seeing so much of this online at the moment. So in the article you wrote, it is an off repeated tenet of the self self-help industry that positive thinking is something to strive for and that if you do it well enough, you can get everything you want. So not only is it extremely difficult to achieve non-stop positive thinking, it is fraught with danger. Can you share with our audience why this is?
1: You know, it's that old adage, be careful what you wish for, isn't it? It really depends on why we want what we want and where that wanting came from. So we might really want something that actually life isn't going to make it easy for us to have. And instead of sort of backing off and thinking, well, maybe it's not the right time for it, or maybe it's actually not the best thing for me. Instead, we... um we are taught to sort of gather our will Mm. through the concept of positive thinking and sort of force it as if we knew the best thing anyway and as if our will was actually more important than any other consideration. So this is really interesting and it's relatively recent as a philosophy Mm. and there are many ancient philosophies which teach something quite different and I've been immersed in some of those philosophies. I've done a lot of study of Taoism and Buddhism and they really teach that you have to be quite careful about when you decide that your will is superior to any anything else. (laughs) And they also teach that timing is really important and that there are times when things can happen and times when they can't. And if you expend a lot of energy trying to make something happen at the wrong time, you're just wasting a precious resource, i.e. your own energy. So it's ultimately not really sustainable as a way of living. And I'm very interested in sustainability, as many of us are now. And I'm interested in it in behavioural terms as well as in um, material terms.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, when you said that, I thought, oh, I hope you explain a little bit more about that. So what do you mean by that in terms of sustainability, in terms of behavior and psyche, I guess?
1: Well, everything we do takes energy to do, right? Our energy is a precious resource. Just as we're part of the earth, the earth's energy is a precious resource. You can spend your whole life chasing things whether it's gathering material wealth or whether it's doing certain activities, climbing mountains, traveling around the world, whatever. And A, these may be uh, not particularly good for the planet, but B, they may not be particularly good for you. But we don't really have a break on this stuff. I mean, we have just experiencing a big collective break through COVID-19, which is really fascinating. Because that's turning people back to the home and Mm. the idea of having a staycation and, you know, people getting used to the fact they can't just jump on a plane at the drop of a hat. And although this has been terrible in so many ways and certainly terrible for all the families who've lost loved ones and or who are still enduring illness through long COVID or whatever, you know, it's absolutely ghastly to live Mm. through a pandemic Mm. like this. And it's going to have all sorts of very difficult repercussions. But there is something positive and probably necessary coming out of it, which is that it is, uh, is shifting our sense of priorities And some of those priorities did not take sustainability into account. So sustainability, if we look at it holistically, includes human behavior. And the idea of positive thinking and that you can will your world into being does not really mesh well with long term sustainability or with a durable kind of um, relationship with the natural world. So that's one aspect of it. I should probably also say that um, the concept of positive thinking emerges out of the idea that we create our own reality. So there's also something inherently rather selfish about it. And also this idea that we create our own reality is rather allied to, well, capitalism and particularly contemporary capitalism, which has a, a neoliberal aspect to it in that anything goes. So again, we're back to this idea of constraint. We're not constrained by anything within that. And we reify, if you like, the human will. And we say that actually is more important than anything else. And what do we end up with? We end up with Trump as president, who really <laughs> you know represents that kind of greed Absolutely. and unfettered self-interest.
0: Yeah. And in your article,
1: you talked about that sense of
0: entitlement too, which is, I think, what you're sort of talking about there as well, that there's this sort of given entitlement that I deserve to have that or that I should
1: have yeah. that or I can yeah. take that or... Yeah. That's right. And I think it's interesting in terms of experience of um, fertility and having children, which for many reasons has become more difficult for many women. I mean, probably the main one is deferring first pregnancy because of, you know, often career. Yeah, And we know that the age of first pregnancy is, is you know, going up all the time. Uh, it's also due to economics. Households need two careers in order to function in most cities of the world now uh, in order to be able to have a home you've got to have two working people so we've created a society which doesn't really help women have children at the age at which it would be biologically easy for them to so we get this really tricky situation where yes most women and their partners want to have children and yet we now try and do it at an age when it's difficult. So we bump it directly into uh, all these matters of the will and decisions, and uh, and then, as you say, people say to you, "Well, think positively." Mm. And when you're told to think positively about a matter which is really essentially biological, it's not really very helpful. And <laughs> not, so, women not experience uh, at all. No, and women experience a great deal of distress, and and their partners as well, but also guilt. I think a sense of and regret. Um, But actually, society is actually structured now so that that is, uh, you know, quite a common experience. And when women do get pregnant when they're young, they're also made to feel guilty about that, as if it's irresponsible. Yeah. So it's and, a big catch 22. And look, if there's women. anything
0: you can't control just having been through 13 cycles of IVF, it's, it's, pregnancy. <laughs> yes. it's you know, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, you see, and I work with a lot of people in therapy, obviously going through these issues as well, and just controlling what they eat and their body and, and actually going to feeling so bad about themselves when the cycle doesn't work, because obviously I haven't thought positive, or I haven't been stress-free and, just the angst that sort of gets built up around that, it's, it's unbelievable.
1: Well, and combined with the effect of the hormones as well. Exactly. That you're being, being injected pumped. with. exactly, Yeah, so it's very difficult. And I think then that gets married to the sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. And it often takes a long time. I don't know what happened with your situation, but it often takes a long time for people to really seriously <laughs> consider adoption.
0: The funny thing is for me, and it comes back to something, and I wanted to come back to this when you first started, around what we want may not necessarily be what we need. I think yeah. something like yeah. that. That's when a good paraphrase. I, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> when, I, when when I was twenty two or twenty-three, I was I was a very angry young adult and I remember watching a show, it was called The Dying Rooms, and it was about children being adopted from China. And I remember saying to my mum at the time, oh, oh my God, why on earth would anyone bring anyone into this world? When I grow up, I'm going to adopt a a baby from China. (laughs) So adoption for me was actually... I think we got sort of on that last cycle I had had enough of being poked and prodded I yeah. mentioned the trauma of infertility it was a very traumatic experience for me I almost ripped the needle out of my arm and said stop I've had enough so it sort of came quite easily for us to move into we actually went down the foster care route but um and I think this is something that we talked about in our last episode together women aren't really given much choice when they go to the doctor it's all very medicalized it's kind of like the whole menstruation topic that we were talking about there's almost no space there for women to make a choice around it a healthy choice
1: yes that's right and the conversation I think could be broader and kinder couldn't it right from the beginning but that's really taboo I think for a doctor to say well is it really important for you to have your own child that conversation doesn't usually happen until IVF has failed which, uh, just to be a bit cynical about it, of course, is a huge money spinner. Oh, absolutely. 13 cycles of IVF. There's been a lot of profit made by somebody Absolutely. Um, from that. And positive thinking is a product of capitalism. And we can see in the IVF experience, you know, capitalism doing a really good job <laughs> for itself, you know, um, for money making because if instead say we had a philosophy of at 35 if you haven't had children and you go to the doctor the doctor says to you well look I really understand you wanting to have your own biological children but I want you to understand that it might not work it'll be expensive and it, you'll put your body through a lot do you want to go away for a month and think about whether you'd like to adopt instead and if that, that was not a, a <laughs> that which isn't what happen. happens, right? <laughs> so we grow up, there is this idea that's actually perpetuated, interestingly, by politicians who are very keen on saying, well, of course, as a father, I think X. Mm. It's like as if people who aren't parents don't have feelings towards children or can't understand what it might be like to lose your child mm. or, you know, it's as if the world is, they like to divide the world into people who've got children and people who haven't. And in fact, people who don't have children can also, they might have nieces and nephews and godchildren. They might work with children. I think it's partly an outgrowth of the dominance of the nuclear family. When people live in a more tribal way or they Mm -hmm. live in more extended family structures, then who has children and who doesn't have children isn't such a divide but really we have the choice of either you live alone or maybe with just with a partner or you have a family. So basically for women, it's either loneliness or overwhelm. There's nothing in between.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think that sort of brings us back to the sort of, I think you started with this, maybe, or maybe it was, I read it in your article around it being a decision or a choice made from the false self, or it might be a false dream or something that others want you to have, or because of something else that we haven't actually really worked through. So, When we're making these decisions, whether it's IVF or whether it's about like the secret would have have you do is put money on your ceiling and hope that it will come kind of thing. There's often not that space to really pause and think about what one really wants and or what, what we really need. And it kind of leads me into a statement that I have quoted many times from you. The soul or psyche is not interested in success as much as it is interested in the truth.
1: I think I would say that a little differently now. I wrote this article in, I think, 2010. And I'm not sure I position success and the truth in a sort of oppositional binary like that. I think what I'm trying to say is that the soul is not interested in achievement in a worldly way as much as it's interested in the truth about being and about one's being and one's relationships. And whether one is doing... Living one's life in a sense that is good. Good is a sort of tricky concept, but I think we all have a sense of what that is and that it's related to something which we experience as authentic. And that, of course, is a big variable and it's culturally constructed to some extent. But I do think we all have a sense of whether we're doing work that we feel comfortable in, whether we're in a relationship that we feel comfortable in, even if at times these things are difficult or stressful or tiring or whatever. But there's a sense of whether they are essentially good. And, and luckily, there's a lot of difference between us. So some of us would experience that sense of goodness by being a farmer. Somebody else would experience it through being a teacher. Somebody else would experience it through being running a big corporation some would experience it through being a politician there are lots of different ways to experience that but when we diverge from that and particularly when society gives us a narrow window to perceive that kind of authentic success through mm. then we will be striving for something that isn't actually really anything to do with it, who we really are and i think that creates an enormous amount of unhappiness and in any therapy practice, you will see people come through the door who were very successful, but deeply unhappy. Yeah, absolutely. And what they're successful in is not something that really suits them. And I think navigating that is just tremendously important, not only for the individual, but for society. Yeah. And I think this weaves in quite
0: nicely. So since writing your article, it was some time ago, Facebook has grown from 400 million to uh, 2.6 billion (laughs) and with over a billion users on Instagram and growing. So um, that's just since 2010 then, if that's when the article was written. So we can pretty much guarantee that everyone listening today uses one or the other. You can't log on to either without being bombarded with positive quotes and toxic positivity. Mm. And Mm. on Instagram, there are images of the perfect body, the perfect diet, the perfect products, the perfect dress and the perfect holiday, although maybe not at the moment. (laughs) What advice would you give to young women who are listening today who are caught up in feeling like they need to keep up with the Joneses, they're caught in materialism and that sense of entitlement that you talk about in the article? What would you say to them? Because, uh, you know, when you look on Instagram and whether it's a diet or a, a keto this or a paleo that, or it's, it's a wellness warrior, something else, or it's Khloe Kardashian, everyone wants to be like these people. There's a lot of striving for that and that success. What would you say to them?
1: Well, I think it's really natural to look for role models at any point in life, but particularly in adolescence. You're figuring out who you are. And you're looking around your world for people who are doing something that you can aspire to or that you feel excited by. Mm -hmm. So I would say just be really careful and think very carefully about who you follow. And yes, you know, be on social media, connect with your friends. But follow people who you feel really are evincing something in their lives that, You can aspire to from a sense of wholeness in yourself. And you'll know when you see somebody like that. And then don't follow people just because they're well known. Fame Mm. is not a useful measure of whether somebody is worth tracking. Fame in this culture, 90% of it is run by capitalism, it's run by the quest for financial gain it's not run by real talent by authenticity by any sense of goodness there is some of that for sure there are some people like that seek them out follow them and also make sure that you take time out regularly just to be by yourself and to be creative yourself don't just you know spend all your time online looking at what other people are doing So it's a natural time for looking to others for guidance and for role models, but it's also an incredibly creative time. Adolescence is the biggest time of your life, probably, Mm. for being creative on your own terms. And you get a lot of information in your adolescence about what really matters to you, who you really are and what you want to be in the world. But you need to take time to actually listen to and feel that from within yourself. Yeah. And I think
0: this raises a really important topic and it, it links back to that very first statement you made around sort of thinking positive and, you know, going for what we want. And it's around the, I guess, uh, I mean, we use different words for it, we're around the authentic self. I mean, my sense is that unless someone's been in therapy, which Often people are sort of catapulted into therapy because, you know, maybe they've got an eating disorder or relationship problem or addiction or something. A lot of people don't know who they are. So when you say to follow sort of healthy people, how do people even know who that is
1: when they don't even
0: know themselves?
1: Really good question. I think that you can't do one without the other. You know, I I gave two suggestions. One is to Mm. really think about who you're following and to listen to yourself around it as well. The other is to spend time with yourself. I don't think the authentic self is that far away from anybody's awareness, but I think it's a question of whether you're taught or encouraged to pay attention to it. And I think a lot of contemporary education takes us away from that and contemporary culture because it's all about look at this, look at this, not feel and go within and learn to meditate or any of that. Everybody's authentic self is not that far away from their awareness. It's actually screaming at us all the time if we just turn to look at it. It's so, a really good
0: point. So, to pause and to listen. And, yeah. And I like that suggestion of taking time out. So, it's totally okay to want goals and to want to better oneself and whatever else. Mm-hmm. So, how can women create meaningful and purposeful goals from their true selves?
1: It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about you. Did your life turn out how you expected it to? <laughs> No. Me neither. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So in a way, life or something, something that we don't have conscious control of is guiding our lives, right? I mean, the most amazing things I've done happen serendipitously. Mm -hmm. The people who've come into my life, who've changed it or who I've loved, and it's miraculous really looking back on it. I couldn't have made any of it happen. But what I did do was I did take periodic leaps into the dark. And I think that's a really important thing to know is a possibility (laughs) because we're very trained in safety these days. This is another thing that's happening along with everything else. I mean, I think partly because we're surrounded by so much information, we're so overstimulated from external information There's a tendency to live vicariously Mm. through other people. And this is another thing that, you know, some people make money out of. I mean, influencers and people who post pictures of themselves looking beautiful in exotic places. And this idea that you live your life through creating visual images for other people to consume. I don't know how I would have coped if I'd grown up in that. Because a lot of what I did and how I cooked myself as a being happened in private And I didn't feel a need to share it. I mean, I might share it with a friend or two, but I didn't even grow up in a culture where we talked about everything. Now we have this idea that everything is supposed to be, you know, open and transparent and spoken about and some things actually need time to cook. And I didn't become clear what I really wanted to do with my life until I was in my 30s. I did meaningful things before then and I was following a track, but I didn't understand what that track was. Until I was really well into it, partly because it wasn't one that looked like really anybody else's that I knew, but it was also because life takes time to reveal itself. I think, yeah, and then absolutely. it also circles around. and I went through another phase later on where I didn't know what the heck I was doing. You know, <laughs> so there are cycles where we're back to being almost adolescent again and being uncertain. And and part of, I think, being whole as a being in terms of, you know, you said the authentic being. For me, mm-hmm. that, that, that there's something about wholeness in that, where we're able to integrate disparate aspects of ourselves and turn something into, into something meaningful. Part of that is about being able to withstand periods of time when we don't know what's going on. And that's a psychological tool that I think is really important to generate when we're talking about positivity
0: too and thinking about uh, a term that's come up more recently is around toxic positivity and Mm -hmm. what you will find a lot online is everything is positive and it's, you know, even in the positive quotes and thinking about wholeness and how there's light and shadow in wholeness as well. And when we think about the phrase toxic positivity, it refers to the concept that keeping positive and keeping positive only is the only way to live your life. And it means only focusing on positive things and rejecting anything that may trigger negative emotions. So when I'm thinking about wholeness, if we only can focus on that positive, what happens with that whole other rich emotional life, I guess?
1: Yes, it's a sort of psychological fascism really, isn't it? To say (laughs) you can only be positive. You've got to be upbeat all the time. Yes, it doesn't allow for the richness that actually comes out of experiences like grief, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can't try it, you can't live a proper life and escape grief. It's going to happen. And you can't go through it if you just think you need to be upbeat about everything because grief is not upbeat. You know, being able to dwell within those experiences and let them cook you as a person is a terrifically important part of developing real wisdom about life. You can't get there through positive thinking. All you can get through positive thinking is a relentless kind of will to succeed. And a lot of that will work out if you just can throw everything at it. But the thing is, most of us can't. We'll Mm. sabotage it, partly because we don't have the energy for it. I mean, it takes a lot of energy to be relentlessly positive. It does. It's kind of exhausting,
0: isn't it? It is. And it comes back to the statement that you have slightly deviated from around
1: uh, the soul wanting truth, Well, I didn't deviate, I expanded. (laughs) Expanded, expanded. (laughs) Now, in that context, it really makes sense, that statement, because yes, Yes. truth comes much more out of um, wholeness and a complete experience of living than it does out of something as narrow as success. Because what is success anyway? That's what I was going to say.
0: Yes. So even when people are successful and it is exhausting, my experience is, you know, obviously being a therapist, you get people, I think you mentioned that earlier, who have been at the top of their game and have made very big successes in their lives. But somehow the truth will always out and you know, it might be in terms of a midlife crisis or, a, you know, even now with what's happening with coronavirus, a sort of major sort of existential spiritual crisis, something something Mm. happens where they can't actually maintain that level of success if it has come from that false self, I guess.
1: Yes, that's right. And of course, it's also back to the original point about be careful what you wish for, you know, that... I mean, my experience has been that whenever I've really wanted something that mm. actually it wasn't really mine to have or it wasn't the right time for me to have it, I might have pushed it into being, mm. but it's always backfired spectacularly. So I'm really careful now to sort of feel as if I'm aligned with something bigger than my own mm-hmm. like immediate sense of what I need. And that also has given me more tolerance for dealing with difficulty, I think, because you know that, well, nothing's going to last forever. Mm -hmm. And yes, this is tough right now, but what is there to learn in this? You know, what am I getting from this situation? And I think that's really useful in the time of COVID. And some people are doing really well with that, I think, and uh, understanding how much being at home is giving them in terms of a sense of nurturing but it all depends on what situation you're in. You know, if you're in a relationship that was tricky anyway, that was basically managed by spending most of your lives apart, then lockdown's going to bring that to a head. So we're in a sort of pressure cooker in a way that is really concerned with these concepts of what do I really want from my life and, and how can I manage that? And where do I actually just have to let go? And I think that that's where the concept of positive thinking It's useful if we apply it in a holistic way. So if we can say, yes, okay, what's happening now is difficult for me, but I know that there will be something beneficial that will come out of this if I can be creative about how I live with this for example. Yes, it's
0: not just going all for the positive. It's not dismissing anything else that can come out of it, I guess is what you're saying.
1: Yes, that's right. It's to recognize that, yes, there are real feelings. And also sometimes you're in a situation where you have to go, this is too difficult for me. I actually can't do this. I have to make a fundamental change to what's happening. And that's terrifically important. In my experience, if you are in that kind of a situation and you decide to make a change, the world will help you. You know, if it really is that you're in a tough spot and you need to make a change, you will be able to find a way through but it's not, that's not coming out of an egoic sense that you're creating your own reality or that, you know, if you just think positively, it'll all work out. Mm. It's more coming out of the world will align with your needs if they're genuine. Yeah. And I think that um, when you mentioned the
0: word ego, there, I'm thinking in psychosynthesis, we talk about surrendering the ego to the soul or to the self and it's kind of reminded me around what you're talking about so that it's okay to let go of something and I'm thinking about our infertility journey and 13 cycles and you know a lot of people were saying don't give up don't give up keep going keep going for me it actually felt like a surrendering absolutely you
1: know? and I also think this is very interesting in terms of the advice people give each other oh, isn't yeah. it <laughs> like it's seen as being a good thing to encourage other people to think positively. isn't it (laughs) this is like being a good person right yeah but actually it's not always so helpful and I think we need to be a bit more thoughtful about that I mean I'm sure I do it still sometimes even though I've done a lot of work around Mm. where the concept of positive thinking comes from and as you know in the article where it's actually not so useful but I still we still want to cheer each other up but I think there is a way of cheering someone up by being with them in the reality of what's happening yeah, and perhaps having the understanding that it won't last forever, you know, and that something will shift at some point. Because if there's one thing we know about life, we know that, right? Absolutely. But that's a bit more nuanced than just going, oh, buck up, you know, because that really is not not helpful. So there's one thing that we have talked about very much, which I think is important to Mm -hmm. understand positive thinking is that I said before, it's relatively new. And I think it's really allied to neoliberal capitalism and to a society which wants us to want things. So this society just really fans our natural desire mechanism constantly. This is what advertising does. And it's important to understand how recent advertising is in human experience and how now we are bombarded with it daily. So in the 1980s, I lived in China Mm -hmm. for a few months studying acupuncture. And at that time in China there were no advertisements and i didn't watch any television for 4 months and the only advertisements i saw were the odd billboard advertising toothpaste or something yep. none of the advertising used women's bodies ah. i never saw a naked woman's body portrayed to me through an external image in 4 wow. months yeah and after a couple of months i realized that my mind was starting to feel as if it had been washed clean and that i wasn't having to expend energy every day dealing with Images that were designed to make me feel inferior and that I must buy something in order to be acceptable. And this was a really, as you can imagine, profound experience because mm. the sense of freedom that it elicited in me and the sense that I had my mind back for myself, I wasn't constantly in a state of absorption or resistance to a capitalist ethos yeah. that basically had colonized my mind. So this is what we live with now, and it's much worse now than it was in the West in the 80s. It's much, much worse. And this is what happens to us when we spend a lot of the time scrolling through Instagram or Facebook. Mm. Our mind is being colonized by capitalism. Yeah, good point. And, you know, it's interesting with COVID.
0: It's really not sustainable either in terms of if we think about uh, the people who have lost their jobs at the moment, it's all people in retail because no one's out there spending. So our whole society is based on this, exactly what we're talking about.
1: Being told what we want and then having to, ex- you know, make great effort not to be sucked into it because mm. either we can't afford it or we don't really want it anyway. Yeah. We all have too much stuff, pretty much. And I don't quite know what we do about the mountains of stuff that we deal with. It's very troubling, really. It's a very strange phenomenon that we've created. And, of course, much of it made by people who are paid very, very little. Exactly. So one thing I'm trying to do is for myself is I'm trying to, um, as many of us have been doing for a while now, buy very little few new things only when I really need them. And it's not to be parsimonious or mean with myself or not have beautiful things. And I love beautiful things. I love clothes. But to really try and think about what do I really need? And also to try and buy things that are made locally. And it's not easy. It's really not easy. But uh, uh, but I'd rather spend more and buy less. Yeah. And then at least I start to feel better about my wardrobe and myself when I'm wearing clothes that have been locally sourced or at least in the country I live in. Mm -hmm. Um, And and they also end up being better quality and they last longer. Oh, absolutely. But this is a huge mental shift from what we're used to and the prices we're used to buying things at.
0: I think the positive thinking too in your article when I first read it was really around, it really was around this entitlement and what the secret was all about wanting more, more, more. And so for me this fits in perfectly. So, you know, mm. I think that's really great advice to um, for our listeners to think about um, yeah, shopping locally and reducing spending and uh, taking time, I I guess, to really think about what we really want and need rather than uh, just because we see it, we should therefore just go and buy it or so-and-so's got it on Instagram and I need it too. So, yeah, I think this fits in perfectly.
1: Yeah. So, it's another interesting shift in COVID, under COVID. I don't know whether this has happened in Australia, but Mm. here there's been a revolution in bras. Oh, <laughs> um, so women have stopped buying underwire bras and wearing them and now all the bra companies are rushing to design what they're calling comfort bras because everyone's at home all the time and they don't need to wear the outfit any this longer so, so funny I actually just bought two non-wire uh-huh. bras for the first time <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like a week ago there you go <laughs> so one of the big stores here um, yeah. their website the bra page always used to be all underwear bras. And then right at the end, there'd be a few. I just looked at it the other day and it's all comfort bras now. Oh, that's so funny. And then also high heels and all mm-hmm. those things that women have been told they need to wear in order to be acceptable, which is a very uncomfortable uniform Yes, that privileges the young and the fit. It's now not so necessary and women are getting a chance to actually think about well, why do I do that? Why am I doing that to myself? It's not comfortable. Yeah. Which is really fascinating, actually, in broader terms. But back to the positive thinking, I think, well, we're verging towards how that affects the body, the relationship with the body. Mm. And it breaks my heart when I hear young women talking about how they wish their bodies were different. Yeah. And that we really need to learn to celebrate our bodies and be happy with our bodies for how they are rather than wanting them to achieve some kind of perfection which we've Mm, been fed mm, from mm. the outside. And this is really one of the most damaging elements of capitalism, really, what it's how it's worked on women's vulnerabilities Mm. around their appearance. So women are still trained to think far more than men do that their appearance is what will lead to their happiness. Yes, absolutely. It's how they will get a man, get you know be considered desirable to everybody and worthy and and, yeah and worthy that's right and of course that's not so bad when it's not in a model where it's constantly changing and you've got to look a shape that you can't actually achieve yeah so again it's one of these ways in which women can't win yeah because we're fed if you
0: just stick to the diet if you think positive if on Monday I'll be able to do it so much better and it's like this diet is going to bring well, whatever it is that's attached to it and usually yes. worth. So.
1: Yes, and the idea of perfection. And I think we all do it to ourselves all the time, one way or another. It's really hard to escape from, but mm. the more awareness we have around it, then at least we have a tool for defending ourselves against it. And I think, again, if we minimise our exposure to images that really are designed to make us feel inadequate, because then we will purchase more. Things, or you know, whether it's beauty treatments or clothes or holidays or whatever, then we do build more resilience in ourselves against it. But it is pretty toxic and it is very allied to the positivity uh, paradigm because Mm -hmm. it's also part of saying, yes, you create your own reality and you can create yourself. Yeah. So you can create yourself in the image of someone who is a perfected version of a female human yeah Uh, you know in a particularly narrow version of what that might be and and what
0: we actually know from the health at every size movement is that being told we can create the body that we want again it's we we might be able to do that for a period of time but it rarely lasts so we know that people who diet end up putting on weight and putting on more so again it's not sustainable it is not sustainable look I would love to talk and keep talking so many interesting topics, but we've come to uh, the end of our time. So I think once again, so many useful bits of juicy sort of soul work here for women, I think, and you know, you're doing
1: amazing work. And so will you let women know how they can find you? Yeah. So my website is laraowen.com dot com, And I always um, update the front page with what I'm doing. And there will be some new offerings coming up over the next 12 months. So do check in periodically. And uh, thanks so much, Jodie, for this opportunity to talk with you. It's been a real pleasure.
0: Oh, me too, because I know that you don't always say yes to interviews. So I feel very <laughs> privileged. So thank you for coming. You take thanks. care. This is episode 26. I will link to everything we have talked about today in the show notes at thesoulcentre.online forward slash soul sessions 26 with Lara Owen. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Soul Sessions podcast. Loved this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. To learn more about how you can befriend your body, feelings, mind, and soul, get Jody's free 65 page ebook at
1: thesoulcenter.online. Until next time.